Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Glad you're here. We are talking about change this week, and I want to start with maybe just a bit of recollection. So if you're willing, close your eyes and think of the first time that you fell in love, your very first, maybe even teenage feelings of love. Well, for me, it was when I was 18 and off to college. I went to summer school for college and oh, I was so in love. It almost burned. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I love my parents, sure, but this was something different. Well, obviously it was something different. Do you remember how beautiful, and at the same time, if you're, if you're like most Americans, that first love probably didn't last. Very few people, I think in my career doing weddings and ceremonies and things like that, I think I've met uh, two couples that were high school sweethearts. You know, pretty much everyone else, the first person they fell in love with within a relatively short period of time, oh, that, that pain, that pain of separation, just visceral. In fact, I was, uh, had the honor of being with my uh, niece at a cheerleading competition <laughs> yesterday. Uh, uh, well, enough to say about the craziness of it. But <laughs> at one point, I was sitting next to a 12-year-old who had her first crush, and the boy had rejected her. And I got to tell you, that was as painful to her as any loss that I've ever suffered. I mean, I could feel it. It like emanated like waves from her, the feeling of pain and the feeling of loss. And that's what reminded me, in fact, of my first affair, if you will, my first love of the heart when I was in college. This month, we're using this book, The Art of Uncertainty, of Dennis Merritt Jones. And his theory is, really, all of life's pain comes from something very similar to what I just described we don't want that love to go away. We have a, what do you want to call it? Um, a fixation, if you will, a, a vested interest, a, a high desired outcome that certain things remain the way they are. We, we would do anything to just lock down things when they're going well, whether it is that first love affair, whether it's a job that we're particularly enamored of. I remember the first time that I uh, had a job where I had my own door on the office. I worked for many years at the telephone company, right? And it was cubicle land. Is everyone familiar with cubicle land? And oh my gosh, I got the promotion and I had a door. And I gotta tell you, I went busily about locking it down. I made sure that my name was on the door, right? It was like, this is a big investment. They're like doing something to this physical door that cannot be undone, <laughs> right? This is my job. <laughs> and I made sure I had the business cards with the new title on it. And I made sure that, you know, the whole variety. And what was I doing? It, whether you think of it as something I was doing for my own self-confidence or whether you think of it as doing it for my ego or whatever, I don't know exactly, but I was locking it in. I was locking it down. And oh, so quick to make sure that my raise got eaten up with a, a better lifestyle in terms of a new apartment, I remember at that time too. I had such 
such an investment, such a plan for this new me, I guess you might say it, and it had to look a certain way and it had to feel a certain way. And I gotta tell you, 18 months later, when I didn't have that door anymore, it's as though someone had cut off a leg. It went well beyond the really the minor difference in cash and in the new job I was at, the, the loss of all of these symbols of prosperity and self-worth were tremendous. This is the cause of most of the suffering on the planet. It isn't the thing that happened. It's our investment in thinking that we can preserve life exactly the way we want it. And what are we really doing? We're trying to lock down the externals when we know they're gonna change. Now, what are the internals that I might have chosen to focus on instead? The internals are that I always can feel successful, right? I feel successful in life, and I can hold on to that. That's something that no one can take away from me. They can take away a door. They can give me a different set of business cards or, or offer to let me pay for my own business cards as, as one job I had did, right? But can they actually take away my sense of self-worth and success? No, only I can do that. Only I have the power of undoing anything that has to do with me that is truly worthwhile. Now, Reverend Sharon last week did a super job of explaining that change is inevitable. Uh, it's, like, it's like, try to keep something from changing, good luck. What I'm here to suggest this week is that we do have some power as to how we react to those changes, and we do have some power in actually how to bring about changes that might be to our liking, to participate in the change process so that when it comes about, we're not feeling like the victim anymore. We're not feeling like someone that got something done to us, but rather, we're actually participating with life. We're stepping up to the plate. And I think of this in going in a couple ways. First of all, the idea of getting what we like. Have you, have you all had that feeling of things are just going really well? Whether it is the job with the, the, <laughs> the office with the door or whether it's a relationship or whatever it is. And, and it does cross our mind, I hope this never changes. I hope this summer never comes to an end. I, I hope, right? And, and we'll even do things like I did to try to lock it in. I say... From now on, from, from this later version of me later in life, what I want to do is celebrate the experience and not the externals. The externals, I know, can change. The door can disappear, but the feeling of accomplishment is mine forever. The, the, you know, the person I'm dating may stick around and may not, but the feeling of knowing that I'm loved and that sense of intimacy, it is mine. It absolutely is mine. And when I celebrate them, it will tend to bring more experiences like that to us. It's part of that science of mind thingy that Sharon often talks about, right? As we believe it, as we accept it in our heart, it will tend to come true in our lives. So when I focus on the sense of success, the, the feeling, feelings of love, the, the capabilities of my life, what can I expect? I can expect more of that. Now the forms may change. It may be a different boyfriend or girlfriend. It may be a different job. It may be a different car. It may be a different way of being physically in the world because the stuff, oh, it's changing. Even my own body is part of the stuff, right? 
I'm not the same guy I was when I was 18. Uh, some things are bigger, some things are smaller. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> but what I do know is that I can feel comfortable in my own body. I can celebrate this, this thing that I'm carrying around called Larry at any time in my life. It's not dependent on whether the six pack is there anymore, right? We have the power to be content and feeling whole at any age. We have the capability within ourselves of knowing that I am good and I'm right. I want to tell you uh, one more story about this idea of people um, perhaps not quite getting the idea of celebrating the experience of what's going on. So um, our new dog is turning out to require a little more exercise than what we had planned on. And so um, although I generally um, tend to sleep late and have an easy morning, I've been getting up early lately to take little Sarah for a walk. So we were out the other day and uh, not too far from our house is an elementary school. And what I noticed was here was a, a really sweet grouping of a father dressed in a business suit and, and a, a little girl, I would say she was probably maybe eight maybe seven, first, second grade kind of kind of situation. And, and they were in the playground of the school and they were on that merry-go-round thing. And, uh, and have you ever noticed that a little girl, when she squeals, you can't tell if someone just stuck her with a pin or she's really happy? Well, she was, she was making that amazing noise and she was deliriously happy. She was like laying and her head was back and she was going around and her dad was on the cell phone. And kind of arguing with someone, probably at work or something like that. And I thought to myself, you're really missing out here. And it isn't that this childhood thing isn't going to be fleeting, because it is, right? She's going to change. She's the, the, the darling, you know, first grader now. And a little later, she'll be in middle school. And a little later, she'll be in teenagers. And, and you gotta, you got to love up each moment as it comes. When we, when we let that escape, right, we're, we're trapped into some idea of thinking, well, we'll make up for it later. We'll do it later. Something like that. But what I know about really loving and appreciating what we have is we got to be present for it. We got to sign up for it. And, I, and, and, and of course, I'm making a judgment on just, you know, glimpsing these people one time. So, so I, I'm sure, in fact, just the fact that he was there with her, probably taking her on his way to work, says, you know, it says love to me, uh, but still, when things come our way the way we like them, let us treasure not the form of it, but let's be fully present for the experience, be fully here for our loved ones, fully here for experiences of joy and peace, and, and knowing that as we center in on the feelings and the experience rather than the form that we'll get more of it. That the same way that we enjoy our seven-year-old, in a few years we can translate into enjoying our teenager. That will translate into enjoying her as a, a young adult or, or having a family of her own. That, that if we get locked into just thinking of her as the little girl or as the, do you know what I mean? We tend to want to freeze things down. I, I still remember a gentleman I used to work with that said, well, I missed my, my daughter's uh, childhood. I was at work all the time. So there you have it. And he said it like, I've lost the relationship. 
It's that focusing in on one particular form or one particular idea of how things should be, or in his case, how things should have been, that was directing his entire life. So the first rule, if you will, of of working well with what comes your way is to recognize what you've got and really loving it. And the it being the experience and not the physical form, because the physical form is going to change. So we love it minute by minute to our, our utmost and our most heartfelt, and then we get to keep that feeling. That feeling can move forward with us, and as the forms change, new forms will be there to help bolster those same feelings for us. When we get locked into the form and the form goes, then we dig our heels in. We're saying, I wish it was this way, and I wish it was that way, and I remember when it was that way, and we become that, become that old poop that none of us want to become. <laughs> and it's because we were locked into the thing and not the experience. But you know, there's one more trick here. So that was getting what you like, but we also have to like what we get. That's the other side of it. Now, I know I will get some flack later on uh, uh, as people are, are leaving the sanctuary saying, Larry, let me give you the list of what my life is like right now. You know, here are these nine things that happened to me this week, and if you can make that into something that I should love, just try. Well, I'm not attempting to say that there are things in our lives from time to time look pretty shitty. It just happens. Um, shift happens or however you want to think about it. But what I do know is that so often we focus on that one or two or three things that have gone wrong to the exclusion of the rest of our life that is lovely and rewarding and filled with love. It's as though the one, the one sore knuckle is, is presenting itself as the tragedy of all time When in reality, we still have all of our loving relationships. We still have the things that we have. And so when I say that we need to get better at loving what we have, what's coming to us, part of it is just the adjustment of, of just looking around so that we notice that so much of what we have is good and positive and loving and that we can afford to just put a little bit on the back burner some of the things that aren't going well. Not that we neglect them. A lot of times some of the bad things that happen to us are a call for resolution, a call that something needs to be done. But we can take care of business without letting it define us. Have you ever met someone that uh, maybe has lost, lost a loved one and then they have simply defined the rest of their life in terms of that loss? I remember um, when we were at the other church, one of the, the women that used to help there, I remember she introduced herself. Hi, my name is Marie and I'm a widower. Now think about that. Her husband had died years and years and years earlier, and yet she was still holding on to that as though that defined who she was, that loss, that, that, that thing that was missing from her heart, and that is the way she described it to me. And yet, oh my gosh, she had great sisters and nieces and all kinds of people in loving relationship, and yet she still defined herself 
by that loss, even though it had been long ago. She still wanted that same form locked in of being married in that way that she had with that man. When we lock ourselves in, when we overly identify ourselves, whether it's in a relationship or a job or some other way of being, when that thing changes, it spells trouble for us. Instead, when we cherish the feeling, because she was absolutely right in thinking that the time she had with her husband on this planet was cherishable, was wonderful, was joy, and she could get more of that. And as she released or could have released the form of what it used to look like and instead celebrated who she was and the fact that that love still exists within her, that capability of relationship and love and joy and intimacy, it was still possible within her if she would let go of what had happened, that old form, that old way of being, just to set herself up to enjoy life once more. You know, I want to use another example um, from my own life. Um, my mother's father, my, my grandfather, um, he was quite a character in life, and he was one of those people that tended to find the sunny side even when things would go a little haywire. And I remember he started out with a very prestigious job. He was trained as an engineer back in about 1910, and uh, he went to work, and it was actually the foreperson at the mill in Oregon City. You know, you just kind of see the relic of it there, the paper mill. He was actually the foreperson there, making great money, had a great career. And then this little thing called the Great Depression happened. And so in 1929, uh, the market crashed, the mill closed. Here he was with, a, with my mother as an infant, out of work, no job. They took their entire savings, which I think was about $500, and they bought a motel at the beach. Now, did any of them have any experience in running a, a set of cabins? No. Did any of them have any idea of how this would work or how they'd make it? No. But they had that will, that interest in knowing somehow that things would be okay. Well, the first few years, a terrible struggle. They hadn't counted on the fact that the coast just closes up in the winter, right? They were thinking like year-round income from these cabins, and it turned out to be more like six months of income. And so first few years, terrible. But they turned it around, and they kind of enjoyed it. And I still remember later in life some of the other things that presented themselves to my grandfather. <laughs> first of all, he was an avid fisherman. He lived to fish. And at age 60, he had a, a, something went wrong with one of his ears, and he could not be out on the water anymore. His sense of equilibrium, if you put him in a boat, would just kill him off. And at first, for a very short period of time, he was sort of heartbroken. It was as though something precious had been taken from him. And then he came up with the idea. He wrote a couple books about fishing. And he even got through um, Oregon... Uh, Oregon State University, he had a television program called How to Catch the Big Ones. Here at 60 years old, he decided to become a TV star. Well, I mean, it was the 50s, so, you know, but still, it was totally awesome. 
So another thing happened too, and this perhaps is the most poignant. You can imagine a fellow at his age was used to a certain relationship between men and women, right? So he was the one that made the big decisions. He was the one that, you know, got the job. He was the one that, in theory, put the bread on the table. My grandmother, the sweet little woman, she's the one that did the housework. She's the one that made the meals. She was the one that took care of raising my mother. She was the, right, that kind of, you know, that early part of the 20th century part of what it was like to be a man and a woman. So at 70, my grandmother was confined to a wheelchair. And you would have thought the world had ended for my grandfather. It was like, well, I'll never eat again. (laughs) Once I run through my one set of underwear, we're done. (laughs) And for about a week, he was pretty bitter about this. He saw her injury or her... Uh, you, you know, her new nature of being in the world as kind of an affront to his manhood. But you know what? I still remember I went over to visit, and here's Grandpa in the kitchen. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking a cooking class. He said, it can't be any harder than mixing cement. <laughs> and he had totally... He, in his own mind, had totally flipped that, right? This was the woman that he loved, so maybe it was time for him to learn how to cook and do the laundry. Now, see, this is the kind of way that no matter what happens, that no matter what you're dealt, right? Because some people would have just buckled under, under any one of those challenges. Some people would have just said, I can't do what I love, so I'm done, I can't be who I want to be, so that's the end. He also uh, ended up going blind when he was in his, in his late 50s and went back to school to learn how to, uh, to touch type in his late 50s. It was crazy. The man, you would give him something that would look like a challenge, and he would say, this is interesting. I think I can figure out how to get around this. I think I can figure out how to make my life good. What I know is I want to enjoy my life. I want to be loved. I want to have good relationships. And the universe can't prevent me from having that. I'll turn it around. I'll figure it out. And he did. So I want to review the couple of things that we talked about today. Because I think this is the key to what, if we were Buddhists, we would call detachment. So listen to my little bit of a review here. First of all, let's get what we like. And we do that by really appreciating life as it comes to us, by really finding the sweet moments and celebrating them, not attached to the form of them, not saying it has to come in a certain way, but if bliss comes in the form of a lovely conversation with someone you hardly know at the bus station, it's like, let's go with that. There's a kind of intimacy and sweetness there. That's okay. It doesn't have to be, you know, your cousin that you're distanced from. When we dwell upon the actual feelings of intimacy, of love, of joy, of success, of whatever it is, it will bring more to us. Let's not dis, um, uh, let's not distance ourselves from the things that come our way. And then the second piece of it is, uh, let's begin to like what we get. Let's find the sweetness that can exist, even in the things that come our way that don't look so good. Even the things that may appear as a challenge, but what is it really challenging us? It's challenging us 
simply to find the new way of getting what we want, of having the goodness, despite the changing forms, despite our own bodies changing over time. Can I do all of the things I could do when I was 18? Not so much. Am I loving myself and in my place in life today? Absolutely. When we miss, when we long for things that did exist in some, some other way, whether it's a, a love affair or a marriage that didn't work out or a job that should have been or could have been or ended up not being, when we tie our happiness to the things, we will often be doomed to disappointment. But when we simply enjoy the happiness, when we celebrate the good around us, when we in fact seek it out and even make it up, then we get to keep it forever. Because that's who defines us. Suddenly, you're not a person that's cheered up by circumstances, you're a cheerful person. You're not someone that just responds to being loved, you're lovable. Do you see the difference? It's not being tied to the circumstances around us or what happens or, uh, or how someone approaches us or whether someone lives or whether someone dies. Instead, the happiness, the love, the intimacy, the joy, that's the definition of who you are. And by holding on to that, by feeling it and by celebrating it, the universe will respond. It will bring you all kinds of occasions to experience that happiness and that love and that joy. I'm going to close with a, a final thought from the art of certainty here and a prayer. And it's uh, not surprising, I think, that this fits in pretty well with what we believe in the science of mind. He talks about understanding the yes factor. Understanding how the yes factor functions in our daily lives is really quite simple. The universe agrees with whatever we hold in consciousness at our deepest beliefs and it conspires to make them our reality. Simply put, when we become mindfully aware of this principle and how it operates, we also become its master. Henry Ford was correct when he said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. As you contemplate the mystery of uncertainty and change around you, what do you think you can do? What do you think you can't do? What do you think you can feel? What do you think you can't feel? And you will. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love, one joy. There is that only one thing, I choose to call it God, but oh my gosh, in the world religions it comes in so many names. Blessed be. And what is perhaps even more important, I know that I'm an integral part of it, that each person here, including me, is right in the midst of this thing that we call God. That each of us is, a, if you will, a demonstration of the divine law of love. That each one of us, in its small way, is the consciousness represented by the infinite consciousness of God itself. And because of this, I know that God always has something good for us, that yes factor. I know that God is always willing to provide. And so today, my prayer is knowing that whatever comes our way, there is something to be enjoyed, something that we hold up high and treasure, the love, the life, the feelings of enjoyment, the feelings of good. And similarly, when things come our way that we're not so hot about, 
um, we're okay with that. We accept it in our life, knowing that it too will change, knowing that it too will pass into something else, and that we can, through our own power, through our own uh, genius, through our own creativity, create a life for ourselves that is sweet, that does have love, where we notice the things that are going on that are going right, even in the midst of the things that look not so advantageous. And I'm just grateful for this. I'm grateful for the power and presence as it takes the form of the people right in this room and beyond. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for sharing. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.